Thank you for joining us for episode 54, Meet the Astrologer. Today I have with me astrologer Denise Hancock. How you doing, Denise? Hi, Paul. Nice to, nice to see you. All right. Would you like me to tell the people your credentials or would you like to tell the people your credentials? Oh, I can do it. Go ahead. Um, astrology for me is, um, I guess, kind of a third or fourth career. Um, I initially got a bachelor's degree in economics thinking I was going to go to law school and I worked in financial services for a decade and then I decided to swap careers into healthcare and I went to nursing school and wound up working as a nurse, getting my master's, getting my PhD in nursing education. I've kind of continued to weave my studies of astrology in um, throughout my lifetime and so um, just two years ago, I took the step to start offering consultations to other people. Um, and so I've studied with a number of astrology teachers and I'm a member of some organizations. And I'm also an editor for um, a magazine, the, the Evolving Astrologer, which is a quarterly magazine for the Organization for Professional Astrology. Well, I actually heard about you from a mutual friend. Um, I joined I joined your astrology group. I attended one session. Uh, I haven't been back. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> uh, but it wasn't because I didn't enjoy myself. It was because, you know, when you put your head down, start working and doing your own thing, you kind of, sometimes you don't look around and see what's going on around you. So uh, I will do better. <laughs> we should we should have you come as a speaker. Um, what Paul's talking about is I'm the host and organizer of the New Orleans Astrology Meetup Group, and so we have monthly events. Some of them are in person, and some of them are virtual. And I'm always looking for presenters, Paul. So I'll send you an invitation. I've, I've never presented before. I think I think the podcast counts. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. So. There's a game called 20 Questions. Uh-huh. So I have a few for you. So let's begin. Okay. First question I have is, where did you grow up? I was born in a small town called Perkins, Oklahoma. It's kind of halfway between Oklahoma City and Tulsa. And both sides of my parents' families have been there since um, the early 1900s. So that's where I uh, was born and I grew up um, until I went off to college. And my parents and my brother are still there. Oh, wow. Oh, how many uh, siblings do you have? I have two brothers. One of them's two years younger than me and one of them is 13 years younger than me. 13? Mm-hmm. Nice, nice little gap there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of helped raise him. Are you, uh, are your parents still around? They are. They're both still living. Um, they had me when they were young, so they're in their 70s now, and knock on wood, still in really good health. I'm a little worried about them because they're both having harsh Pluto transits over the next couple of years, so I'm keeping an eye on them, but so far, everything's good. Great, great. How would you describe your early childhood home life um it kind of was in a couple of chapters um we lived in the country until i was about seven years old and so i had like so the younger brother who was two years younger than me and we really kind of like ran around outside a lot you know played with animals played in the dirt played with plants 
Um, then I went away to a bigger city for a couple years before moving back to the country. Um, and I really treasured those days of kind of like being in the country, having horses, having chickens, learning to garden, you know, having bunnies. Like, so being outside and exploring the world on my own, you know, without adult supervision. It was like one of those things where mom would say, go out and play and just don't go outside of yelling distance. So when, you know, when it was time to come in for dinner or something, she would yell for us. So yeah, it was very rural for the most part. Did you enjoy the time? Oh. Enjoy did you, the. Did you enjoy that time? Was it hard yeah. time? Was it no, it was really good for me. I had, oh. I had lots of friends and I really loved animals, um, dogs and horses and cats and rabbits. So I spent a lot of time sort of outside in nature and really liked it. Are you uh, married? Have any kids? I am twice divorced. Um, been single for several years now. And I have one adult son who lives in Denver, Colorado. Um, and he got married two years ago, actually on your birthday. Oh, congratulations, son. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. All right. What belief system did you grow up? What was you programmed into? So my mother belongs to a rather fundamentalist Christian church. Um, occasionally it's in the news called Church of the Firstborn. Um, and it's one of those churches where some branches of it um, really have strong ideas about what gender roles are, what men are allowed to do, what women are allowed to do. Um, my father, on the other hand, um, is a complete atheist. But I grew up with like my father enforced, my mother took us to church, took us to Sunday school. Um, so I pretty much have memories of going to church like every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night up until probably my late teenage years when I had my own car. Um, well, and let me ask you a question. Did that throw like a confusing message to have uh, atheists in the house with a stone bone? Yeah, it did. Um, I, 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 we, we got, um, you know, I guess every family is dysfunctional in its own way, right? Yeah. But um, my father sort of had this view, which is sort of typical of my father, that he essentially said, we needed to learn how to go to church and follow the rules in order to be good. But he already knew how to be good and he didn't need to know anything, right? So. Um, how did you, how do you feel about that stance? Um, well, I thought it, I thought it was very hypocritical and, um, <laughs> probably not accurate, but oh, wow. that was his, that was his point of view. So he very much did enforce that we had to do the things my mother wanted us to do. You mm -hmm. know, he supported her religious attempts and, and her schedule and that sort of thing. But he was clear that he didn't want to have anything to do with it. And almost like he was too good for it, that, that other people needed God and other people needed church, but he didn't. All right. All right. Uh, are you still a member of this belief system? And if not, no. when, why, what made you leave? Um, I mean, probably the real break came with simply physically moving away, leaving the small town and getting out of the habit of, you know, going to church with my mother, which happened along the times of going to college and then afterwards. Um, but I really started having a lot of philosophical trouble with it in my late teens because 
you know, the broader messages of the culture, which were much more about women can do anything and you can be and do whatever you want. Whereas in this church, it was very like dogmatic and that a woman should be subject to her husband and that women weren't allowed to speak in public, like in church. And so I began to really sort of bang up against those gender roles and start to feel as though it was very oppressive. Um, was this doing a women's lib? Pardon? Was this doing um, a women's lib term? Well, I mean, it should have, would have been after that because I graduated from high school in 86 and I was okay. really born in 68, right? Which is a time when like gender and sexual liberation was really being pushed. And so my parents were more like conservative rural people, but you know, I grew up on Sesame street, right? And I grew up watching like three's company. And my mom says, I came home from kindergarten telling her that I was going to have a career. And that since she liked children so much, she could just take care of mine. So somehow <laughs> I had my own notions about how the world should work. Quick question. Yeah. Did that happen? Um, to some degree, she took care of my son um, for a few years when we when we lived nearby. Um, she would pick him up from school and feed him and, and watch him. Oh wow! So you uh, yeah. so you call that into existence as a little girl <laughs> <laughs> until he was second grade and we moved off to Tulsa. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, are your family is your family still in that belief system? My mother still is. Um, yes. And I still have, you know, because she grew up in a small town. And so a lot of those same people I've known since I was born. Mm -hmm. Um, and the older generation is kind of dying off. Um, but I'm still in contact with a few people who were in that church and I will occasionally visit it with my mother when I'm home. It makes her very happy. Um, I don't subscribe to the beliefs at all. How do they, how did they react when you left the beliefs? Or did um, you, you know, there was, there was no dramatic break. Oh, all right. So it was more like, you know, they, if I, if I show up, they tell me that they miss me and they love me and they, you know, love to see me at X, Y, Z, but there's never been any, like, um, you know, any dramatic opposition or any, like, I'm out of here. You guys are bad. It, it's just well, more. Have you, like, have you, have they ever, have you ever, have they ever asked you, Hey, why don't you come in here? more and all that and you just no. and, and say hey I, I don't believe that, it I, well I find that in rural Oklahoma and particularly probably in my family a right. pattern is we don't talk about hard things like it's very non-confrontational so that's kind of the the um, the family system and the culture that I feel like I was born into hmm hmm <laughs> interesting interesting mm. alright um was what was your first uh step into occult knowledge was it astrology was it tarot was it what was it? um i can't tell you exactly what year it was but i have distinct memories probably like my junior high and high school years of um picking up you know, the little horoscope scrolls in the grocery store and finding yes. some of like Linda Green's books at garage sales. I remember I had sun signs sometime in high school. Um, I was a very avid reader. And so really my family didn't pay any attention whatsoever to the, all the books I had in the house. I had lots of books, you know, I would like go to the library, get five books, take them home, read them all. 
Um, so it would have been some, my first exposure was probably astrology and it, and it w- was definitely astrology and it would have been sometime probably between age 12 and 18. Um, then kind of my first more formal step was probably, um, late 1998. I had to have a surgery in January of 1999 and I was living in new Orleans at that time. And I got the notion in my head that what I was going to do during my surgical recovery period is learn tarot. And so I bought myself a Rider weight deck and a book and I started trying to learn astrology at that time. I wouldn't say it was terribly successful. You know, I could sort of like sit down and throw some cards and refer to the book, but I didn't really embed it until later. And then I got way more into both astrology and tarot and kind of my first steps into magical practice when I lived in the French Quarter, like in the year 2000, 2001. What do you mean by magical practice? Um, so in the in the French Quarter, I know you live outside yeah. of New Orleans. There's a well, lot I mean, of... I'm, I'm from there. Oh, are you said that? No, there's a, there's a big voodoo yes. tradition. And so... Um, I would occasionally stop into like the voodoo store or like one of the stores that sell gems and crystals and oils and things and have like some mundane problem or something I wanted to do. And maybe I would buy a candle or I'd buy an oil or, you know, I would buy like a charm. I had a um, boyfriend at the time who was... um, several generation native New New Orleanian. And I remember one of the things he did for me was he insisted that I hung an alligator foot, no, a a chicken foot from my car window for protection um, when I was parking (laughs) in the quarter. And so I kind of like picked up like some sort of like, I would say charms and oils and candles kind of stuff from him and from the people I got to know in the French Quarter. So all along, how it... How many, how long have you, you think you've been really studying astrology? I would say since 2001, but I would also say that it's kind of waxed and waned Um, because 2004, 2005, I was really into energy healing and astrology. And then around 2004, I changed careers and I had to go to nursing and I went to nursing school. And during the time I was in nursing school, like that's a 24 hour job. Like, so Mm -hmm. I, I really didn't do much astrology at all. When I graduated with my uh, bachelor's degree and I got my RN, then I joined, that was about on the time Katrina hit and I landed in Oklahoma City for a couple of years and I joined a meetup group there and studied with a, a woman who'd been in astrology for many years named Mary Buckner. But then I got into graduate school. And so again, I kind of pushed it off to the side while I was in graduate school. All right. um, and then, so that happened a few times because, you know, with my three different educational programs, it's like I got completely immersed in nursing for a while and didn't really have the time to do readings or go to meetups or, you know, any of those things. So it's been off and on since 2001. It seems like astrology has been calling you the whole time. Yeah, I think it has. Um, and, you know, no matter how you look at my chart, whether it's a quadrant system or it's a whole sign system, I have kind of always two or three planets in the ninth house. Um, in quadrant systems, I have an eighth house, a heavy eighth house stellium, right? So there's definitely some like signatures in my own birth chart that sort of call me to the occult, to astrology and to lifelong learning, you know, that I love learning and teaching. 
Well, you you just hit on one of my questions I was going to ask you, so I might uh-huh. as well ask you, which house system do you prefer? I use I use different ones for different purposes. Well, all right. If well, I'm... Well, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Um, If I'm... You know what? Wait, hold up. Before you answer that, what branch of astrology did you start with? Um, The only real thing available at the time I started was kind of modern psychological astrology. You know, very much like the the Liz Green stuff, Stephen Forrest, like Rick Levine and Jeff Jar. I used to watch their videos when when Rick's partner Jeff was still alive. So it was really modern psychological. Um, and then about three years ago, I took a deep dive into learning um, Hellenistic and medieval and Renaissance and some of the more ancient methods. I know a little bit of evolutionary astrology, not a lot. It hasn't really called to me. Why do you think that one hasn't really called to you? Well, we haven't talked a lot about my birth chart, but I'm very earth heavy. And so I'm much less concerned about my soul's path and karmic debts and all that as to what's going to happen next week and what I need to take care of and how I can get things done. Yeah, because evolutionary is more soul based. Mm -hmm. And not everybody is trying to talk about their soul. Yeah, it's not that I deny it. It's just that I feel like I have more pressing material interests. I I understand. I understand. Yeah. It's not for everybody. Um, which one are you using now? I really use a combination. Um, I like doing prediction work um, and like doing horary and electional astrology. And so for that, I really rely upon the traditional systems. But I also use the outer planets. I use Uranus and Neptune. And, um, you know, I take a look at what the nodes are doing and that sort of thing. So, and I also find that when I talk to people, when I talk to clients, um, like sometimes their questions are really much more like psychological. Um, They're much more about changes they're feeling coming from within and who they are and what their purpose is. And so I kind of flex to what I feel like the client needs. Yeah. You know, are they needing to know what's going to happen next month or are they really needing to talk about their life design and their and their purpose? Uh, I personally find that traditional is good to see what's, what's coming up and what's mm-hmm. going on. But modern is modern is un- better understandable it, so if you could kind of use a traditional way but explain it in a modern language mm-hmm. uh, i think that works i think they both have real value and mm-hmm. i think you know people like you and me are trying to sort of fuse like so how can we take the best of both systems right yeah to make it really work for people today yes yeah um do you use any other techniques in your astrology readings like- i yeah i i really i would say that um it, de- it totally depends on what the client needs um mm-hmm. i've done some locational astrology i don't think i'm an expert at it i know i know a little bit but if somebody has really complicated questions i'd probably refer them you know i wouldn't want somebody to make a life decision about what city to move to based on me right like 
Um, but I also, like I said, do elections. I choose dates and times well, for auspicious Well, days. I meant like like uh, tarot or ruins uh, or stuff like um, that. Uh, you know, anything. rarely. Sometimes, right. sometimes I will use tarot for myself in my preparation and it's usually because when i look at what's happening in the charts i'm getting really mixed messages okay and so i'll like throw a couple of tarot cards to kind of help me see what's really most important all right but i don't tend to bring it out in client sessions although i have done just some like um like parties and events where we like combine the two quickly when you're sort of you know only giving each person 10 or 15 minutes and I think there's something really nice in that setting about the imagery of the tarot. It helps people really connect with what you're saying. All right. Do you use asteroids or any other, I other have, points? I, I'm exploring it. Um, I have included Chiron in my charts for a while. All right. And um, I'm starting to look more at... Um, like the asteroid goddesses, um, Ceres and Juno and Vesta and Pallas. I really haven't used them so much in client consultation work. I think I'm very much still in like observing and learning to see what makes sense. Um, and so whether or not I'll actually incorporate them into um, consulting work, I don't know. I don't know, but I, it's not, I, I definitely don't rule them out. It hasn't been my focus and I'm really just kind of starting to explore it a little bit. All right. All right. How do, I do sometimes how, look at stars. I look at fixed stars more than I look at asteroids. Oh, okay, okay. But you don't. But you don't really bring that into your constellation. I will if it seems prominent. Um, there are some people that, like, when you look at their charts and their fixed stars, like the stars tell a really complete, compelling story. Like I've had a couple of clients when when I looked at their their fixed stars it seemed clear that they were meant to be writers like there was really strong emphasis on writing careers or on um uh service careers mm -hmm. um and so if i see something that looks compelling i'll bring it in i usually find that a lot of my clients you know they're not experienced with astrology and so putting too much stuff in the consultation gets really confusing yes uh yes if they come into you, they never even heard of a rising or a moon time. Right. You bringing in asteroids and all right. that stuff. It's kind of like, whoa. <laughs> but if there's something that I think is very special about their chart, mm -hmm. um, I think that can really help give people a sense of their purpose and also what makes them unique. So, yeah. You just, do you think that's what people struggle with the most? Purpose. Yeah, I think I probably do. Um, I think one of the advantages of our modern world is that we have so many choices and that we're constantly comparing ourselves to everyone else. You know, that starts in school, right? You're judged based on, are you a slow learner or fast learner? And, you know, and then with the rise of social media, I think everyone's always like trying to figure out if what they're doing is the right thing for them and how they're measuring, you know, when they're measuring themselves to other people, when, you know, probably as astrologers, you and I would say that it's not about measuring yourselves to other people, right? Like we're all on our own unique path. We all have our own gifts, our own challenges, our own situations. But yeah, I think people have a really hard time 
accepting that because I think they've gotten so many social messages that this is what your life should look like. Well, if you was looking for purpose, someone came to you and, and said, hey, I'm looking for purpose. What do you think you would look for? Where would you go in the chart for that? Um, I don't think there's a single answer. Uh, I think. Uh, correct. Right. Um, <laughs> absolutely. I just like the first thing I do when any chart is kind of see what stands out that my eye falls upon. Yeah. Like, is, is there, a, you know, is there a group of planets in one specific area of the chart or is there like this core tension between a couple areas of the chart? Um, so I'm looking for patterns. So so you wouldn't go straight to the sun as purpose. I wouldn't. No. Oh, OK. okay. No. Uh, hey, did you see a few months back uh, the big brouhaha about house systems on yes. online? What did you yeah. think about that and speak about what how you use house systems? So, you know, the people who were debating the house systems in very um, mm, emotional ways are all people that have that I've learned from, right? That I've that I've taught, um, and I think sometimes our egos and our need to be right um, kind of get in the way of having collegial discussions, and so I I feel like in the discussion there really was not so much there about why house once a house system is better than another. It was really much more about kind of poking at old wounds between people um, because the vast number of astrologers that I know would never stand here and say, this is the right house system and I will always use this house system, right? More of us have tried different systems and we eventually either find one that seems to work best for us, for the kind of work that we do, or I know a lot of people who use different house systems based on what kind of work they're doing. Um, for like looking at a birth chart, I often use whole sign houses and that's how I explain it to the client. Okay. Um, I think it keeps it simpler and it works. But if I'm like choosing a date and time to take an activity, I don't use whole signs. I use Reggio Montanus because I feel like... Um, wait, wait, wait. Uh -huh. A lot of people don't know that name mm. all they know is placidus and mm -hmm. old sign what is what is the uh regiomontis so there's there's as, as you know there's like there's tons of different house systems all because right. there's been like work done over time to try to figure out like what's the best way to slice up the sky to slice up the earth like we pretty much can all agree what the ascendant and the descendant, you know, what's rising and what's setting on the horizon matters and what's on the midheaven and what's at the bottom of the root of the chart. But then how you slice up what's in between there. Some people use time as a way to market. Um, some people use literally space and geography. Um, some people measure it from the Earth's ecliptic. Some people measure it from other um, circles around the Earth. So Reggio Montanus is a... Um, now I'm going blank. It's either a time or a space-based system. All right. But when I learned horary astrology and electional astrology, I pretty much follow the rules of William Lilly, um, mm -hmm. who was an English astrologer working in the 18th century, the mid-1700s. Wait, wait, may I add, wasn't mm -hmm. he a Christian? 
Yeah, he was. Um, what was the name of his book? Well, the name of his book is Christian Astrology. Oh, okay. I just, I, I just like to push that point. <laughs> yeah, but you know, there's there's a lot of belief that he named that on purpose just so that it would kind of go under the radar, right? Like, you know, because <laughs> oh, he didn't uh, want to be prosecuted, right? So it was like, oh. oh we're- call it christian astrology because i'm pretty sure there's no mention of jesus in the in the astrology book oh really Um, (laughs) no no he but he did things like found lost objects or um you know answered questions about whether or not somebody would marry someone else but what he's renowned for is writing this book where he really does lots of examples and describes his method so it's a even today it's still a really good textbook to learn how to answer questions by casting like the chart of the moment. And so since I learned his method, I used his house system. Which is? Reggio Montanus. All Mm -hmm. right. It's named for the astrologer who developed it. All right. Um, What is your least favorite? What's your least favorite planet to speak about? Mm. I don't know that I have one. <laughs> and like I'm trying to think, is there any planet that I just don't get? Well, oh yeah, like it, like you have a love hate relationship with this planet. <laughs> I mean, not really. I think I've really learned to appreciate all of them. Ooh, um, I like that because I tell people, hey, you need to make friends friends with this planet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some of them have an easier experience than others, but I'm a person who in my own birth chart, the malefics, Saturn and Mars, the planets that are, you know, known for being troublesome, mm-hmm. um, they actually do pretty good things for me. That doesn't mean it's easy, but um, I have a very strong Mars and and Saturn is like the ruler of important parts of my um, birth chart. And so... Um, you say important parts? Yeah, this? like my rising sign is Capricorn and I have a Capricorn moon. Uh, um, and I have an, you know, I have an angular Saturn. Well, depending on how you look at the chart, um, I have a strong, a pretty strong Saturn. I have a pretty strong Mars and I have a pretty strong Mercury. So I actually probably have less understanding of Venus. Um, Venus is something I kind of like had to learn later in life, like mm-hmm. how to relax, how to just attract things. Um, I probably identify more with Saturn and Mars. What kind of condition is Venus in your chart? Not good. I have, <laughs> I, I really, you know, people, people oftentimes like to, um, mm, like compare char- charts and talk about like what planets are strong and blah, blah, blah. And like, I don't have any planets who are strong in my chart. I have none. Like, um, none of them are in their rulership, right? None of them are exalted everything's almost debilitated in some way with pair, you know, with, with no dignity being like the best. Um, so my Venus is in Scorpio. All right. Yeah. So, um, which, which we would call, um, in her, um, fall, no, not fall detriment, detriment, in her detriment. In her detriment. Um, now she is, Again, depending on where you look, she's either in the ninth or the 11th house. So she's not badly placed and she's with Mercury. 
Um, but she's also in a close sextile with Mars. And so um, my Venus has kind of, I think, gotten hidden a lot by Mars and Mercury. It's like they're part of this triad where she doesn't usually get her way. You know, either Mercury or Mars does. Now, can you actually see how that actually played a role in your life? Yeah, yeah. Now I can. Probably I couldn't have if you would have asked me 25 years ago. Mm. All right. Care to share? Um, I think one of the things about having Venus in Scorpio is mm, I see value sometimes in things that are dark, um, whether that be being drawn to old architecture, thrifting. Um, I tend to like romantically people that are kind of like a little edgy, a little dark, a little dangerous looking in culture, people that aren't necessarily like me and my background. Um, and I absolutely can see patterns in my younger years um, when I was like obsessive and manipulative and um, possessive, you know, that, that whole sort of Scorpio um, stereotype. And it was really when I didn't have the self-confidence that I have today, um, that I was much, much like less secure in relational attachments and behaved in ways that, you know, weren't productive. All right. Could I say that Venus and Scorpio actually attracted you to this astrology and, and tarot and stuff like that? I think that's fair. And, and remember, she's linked with Mercury, right? All right which was also like a very important figure in any kind of divination work or calculation work and all kinds of mental work. So yeah, I think that's, I think that's a fair thing to say. All right. Well, mm -hmm. which planet do you think would be your favorite? Probably Mercury. Why Mercury? Um, I'm a pretty, I'm a person who a lot of my drive life has been driven by like, um, like teaching and learning and mental activity and communicating and reading and writing. And so those kinds of mercurial mental pursuits, mm -hmm. um, are probably the ones that like, I've, I feel like have brought me the most benefits and kind of been like fun for me. Um, so that's probably, you know, and, and I sort of like the changeability of Mercury. Um, I, um, I like, like being able to go in different avenues and do different things and explore different things and talk to different people. And I feel like that's very mercurial, you know? Um, so yeah, I hadn't really thought about that before. I don't know that anyone's ever asked me my favorite planet before. <laughs> All right. Let me ask you a question. I know when you, when you in a chart, sometimes you could see when someone's thoughts and Mercury is not working for their best interest. How do you present that to somebody? How do you get them to see that? Um, you know what I mean, right? Well, I think so. So, uh, as in, as in, like it, uh, the difference between a day and night night chart. Yeah. Right? Uh, Mercury belong. Hey, you're a day bird, but Mercury belongs to the night. I probably wouldn't. Most of the time, I wouldn't say that to a client unless I knew that they um, knew some astrology. 
um, when I when I talk specifically about a particular planetary energy mm. like Mercury, um, I use one of the techniques I use is annual perfections, which yeah. I know right. Yeah. And so, if Mercury is a particularly important planet for them this year, then I do think that's worth talking about. Like Mercury kind of has the baton for you this year, and so let's talk about. Mercury and like what Mercury's good at for you and what Mercury's maybe not so good at for you. Right. Um, it's kind of how I'd frame it. So like if somebody has a Mercury that's like in Cancer or Pisces, for example, right. you know, I would say, you know, I'd ask them about like, like, you know, do you write music? Do you listen to music? Are you into poetry? Are you, um, you know, and, and kind of talk about those gifts that Mercury can bring sometimes with that, that maybe Mercury's not so good at like, um, taking a multiple choice exam, right? But if you can write an essay, that's your skill, right? And so I talk more about like what gifts your Mercury might bring or what challenges it might have and how you might take advantage of that in your own life. Do you point out pitfalls and stuff in the chart? Yeah, sometimes. Um, and I'm gonna actually use an example of, um, of my son. Right. Because my son actually let me, you know, do astrology um, with him, which was nice. And one of the challenges I saw in his chart is that he has like Mars and Pisces in the seventh house. And so um, he's not good at like expressing his own will. He's kind of one of those people where it like um, he sort of will go along and go along and go along until all of a sudden it's boiling over. <laughs> You know? yeah. So we sort of talked about like what that was and like the part of his lessons were that he really needed to learn to say what he wanted and to set boundaries. And if somebody's aggravating them, he needs to speak up early, like before it gets to the boiling point, because yeah. his Mars doesn't like to do those things. Right. His, his Mars is like, you know, he might be more evasive, but then all of a sudden it can come out in a really hard way. What do you see the major difference between traditional and modern astrology? Um, I think in modern astrology, the notion, the, like the the basic notion, is that you are your chart, mm. and that the different parts of the chart, the planets and the houses, are all about you and your experience. Mm. Um, and they really, re like in modern astrology, we really rely upon this notion about mindset is everything. And, so, and like psychological development, like learning acceptance, learning to have a positive mindset, intentions. Um, traditional astrology is more like you are part of your chart, but your chart also explains the culture you were born into, the place you were born into, the family you were born into, the people that are going to come into your life. And it describes external events that can happen to you no matter what your mindset is, right? Yeah. Um, in modern astrology, there's often, and this is kind of where I've made a little bit of a rift in it. Sometimes I think it can tend towards what I'd call toxic positive positivity that like, if you're feeling good enough, if you're thinking the right thoughts, then either bad things won't happen to you or you will easily be able to deal with them. Right. Whereas in traditional astrology, they might say, oh no, a boulder is going to fall on your car. Yes. <laughs> deal with it deal it's with gonna it. happen right yeah <laughs> oh, no. well how do you feel about that um you know i'm a capricorn heavy person i think boulders fall on cars 
So, so in all actual, so let me ask you this: Do you kind of feel out who you can use traditional with and who you got to use modern with? To some degree, I, I would say I'm always like coming from a basis of what's the traditional astrology telling me. Oh, all right. How much I explicitly say about those things depends on the person. Mm. Um, when I see a particularly challenging period come up, um, you know, let's say I see a period where it looks like somebody may have a health issue, right? That there's something about illnesses and injuries coming up in the chart. I might say, you know, it looks to me like this period of time, there could be some sort of focus in your life on illnesses and injuries. Um, it could be that something happens to you. It might also be that, you know, there's someone close to you who's having some sort of a illness or an injury. And if you're sort of trying to work with the astrology, maybe the thing you want to do going up to that period is like, Make sure you've had your checkups and make sure you're getting plenty of sleep and make sure you're eating the right foods. And if you notice something, seek care quickly. Like it's not a time to say, oh, I'm going to push that back and deal with it, you know, next year. So, so you kind of like throw hints out there. Yeah. Like, and like, I, I like you like Hansel, and, like Hansel and Gretel, you throwing like little breadcrumbs. Yes. But I also try to give people like things they can do to have like a sense of, like how I might prepare or how I might think about it. All right. So I guess I'm using some modern astrology, but also just like some practical life experience, you know, because I am a nurse and it's not that I'm diagnosing anyone ever. I'm not, yes. but you know, how do you feel about medical astrology? Um, I've studied it a little bit. Uh -huh. um, I think it is, I think it offers insight because I think one of the problems as a nurse, have you ever looked at it and then tried to mm -hmm. compare it? Did mm -hmm. it match up? Mm -hmm. It matched up? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh. It's a complicated system. And again, mm -hmm. I'm not an expert. Um, right. I've had medical astrology readings myself. All right. Um, and I've used them as information to make choices. Um, but I would never use that exclusively, you know, but I do feel like one of the problems we have with Western astrology, with, with Western medicine, having worked as a nurse in the healthcare system mm -hmm. is we're always just sort of treating symptoms instead of looking at like causes. And so astrology can sort of give you a glimpse into things like, is this the right provider for you? You know, will the surgery do what they're promising? Um, are there risks to the surgery or, you know, or is this the right treatment or do, should you look for other alternatives? Right. Like it can give some of those, like, sometimes we feel things in our gut, right. but we don't really, it's like, okay, well, I've been going to this doctor for three years and they say this thing and they want me to do this thing, but there's something about it that doesn't feel right to me. Right. And so sometimes a medical astrology reading might say, oh no, you know, this is the right provider. It looks like this treatment plan is going to work. Right. Or it'll be like, ah, Maybe you should get a second opinion. Yeah. All right. Um. And my last question: What has astrology done for you? It's given me a much greater appreciation for 
my like my own personal purpose, life plan, gifts, why I am the way I am. And one of the things I'm really fascinated with is this kind of goes along with like the practices of mindfulness and meditation. Mm-hmm. Astrology allows me to sort of step outside of emotional responses and think about the bigger cycles of life that are at play. Um, and so I feel like it's one of those practices that can sort of make it easier to be a human being in a very complicated world. It offers a sense of perspective and calm and and like meditation can almost help you develop this yes i'm a participant in my life but i'm also an observer right it can give you that um that ability to like not let yourself get so emotionally janked around by things that happen all right i know i said that was the last question right i got another question uh-huh would you let a birth chart prevent you from dating someone no why not? Okay, um, well, let me ask you this. If you meet a potential person that you're going to go out on a date, how long before you look look their chart up? Or would you or do you even look their chart up? Um Usually part of that getting to know you conversation is saying that I'm really into astrology and because I, you know, I'm oftentimes doing astrology and seeing things. Yes. And so if they seem like at all interested, then mm. I might say, Hey, let's look at your chart. Mm. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to um, like compare, you know, I mean, if something's obvious, I'll be like, Oh, how cute your Mars is on my Venus. Right. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean um, anything. You wouldn't, you wouldn't pull up a chart and look at it and be like, and get up and leave leave. say hey I'll see you later (laughs) because I feel like while I think the natal chart tells the story Mm. again I see it more from that traditional view of it talks about the circumstances you were born into and what happens to you over the course of your life and you don't you don't necessarily know what's going on with them right now. Like you can look at two people who have like the same essential placements. I don't know. Let's just pick something really bad. Like, I don't know, Mars in the 12th house conjunct Saturn and the sun. Right. And one person is really well adjusted and functioning and using that in a positive way. Whereas somebody else might be just really struggling with it and, and hiding things and acting out and, you know, and, so I think context is everything. Like, I don't think you can just make a judgment on a chart alone. I think there's also um, the context in which that person is living their lives, which, you know, kind of leads to that. I think to some degree, the modern psychological approach works. Like there's there's many different expressions to a planetary energy. Yes. Somebody with a strong Mars, they might be an MMA fighter. They might be an attorney who represents immigrants in court, right? Like, you know, there's a lot of different ways to express it. There's a lot of different ways to express the same energy. Mm-hmm. Which is actually, which actually makes astrology so fascinating. And um, there's people who have wonderful looking charts who are just terrible people. And, and, and actually, I was going to ask you, what do you say to that person that says, oh, my chart is so terrible? 
You know, I, I don't know that I've had anybody say that particular thing. Probably the most common thing that I'll hear people come in and say are people who are single and they feel they've either read something or they've told them or somebody's told them that like you're never going to happy relationship, you're never going to be married because I don't know, you have something in the 7th house or you've got nothing in the 7th house or and so sometimes, you know, what you read online or what your what even people tell you can sometimes be really scary. So I've probably heard it most often from women who are worried that somehow they were doomed to being single forever or they were doomed to only dating alcoholics or, you know, um that kind of thing. Yeah. It's usually not the whole chart. All right. Yeah, I, like I heard comments like my chart's a mess. Oh, look at it. Look at all that stuff. In it. Yeah. I, I mean, my oh. chart's kind of a mess, too. I sort of get that. You know, I, I like I, I've had similar feelings. When I first started studying astrology and learning about um, the dignity schemes, mm -hmm. I was like. <laughs> oh, I'm, okay. Quick question. Mm -hmm. Why did you start studying astrology? Did you start studying astrology to give anybody a consultation? No. It was really just about learning about myself. That's exactly the same yeah. thing I tell everybody. Hey, I didn't start studying astrology to tell any of y'all anything. No. I was trying to learn about myself, trying to figure out me. Yeah. And I've had, um, like, I do have a, a chart that's got a lot of tensions in it. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I have a sun conjunct Uranus. And so I've gone through some periods of my life where there were really extreme transformations, you know, like the place I lived, my job, my relationship. It's like, you know, you could take, if everything was in a bucket, it all got dumped out. Right. And, and so those times when I had these just extreme periods of change and not understanding what was going on, um, I found understanding a little bit about the, the astrology cycles, helped me to get some perspective and cope with it and sort of know that like, it wasn't just me going crazy, right? Like that things were happening for a reason and that there was a time period in which it would settle down again, that it wasn't gonna be like this forever. You just said something about your, the sun was in opposition to Uranus? In, in my birth chart, I have yeah. a sun-Uranus conjunction. They're well, together. Oh, conjunction. Mm -hmm. The sun, well, the sun is about to, is aspecting something now mm -hmm. it's in the opposition to neptune mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you was going to talk to us about neptune today a little bit right yeah is that is it you ready to you ready to talk about sun and neptune sure if you if you through spilling your guts yeah <laughs> well i actually i actually thought i would start by telling you like you, you asked me earlier what planet i liked best and i said mercury um, a planet that I've really been developing appreciation for in the last couple of years um, is Neptune. Right. And when I first started studying astrology and learning about my own subcells of life, um, I may have cursed at Neptune a few times. Like I really, <laughs> um, I've had a lot of problems in my life that had to do with Neptune transits. And so in looking at my own predictions, um, a couple years ago, I figured out that like for the next 12 or 15 years, I'm gonna have a lot of heavy Neptune transits. And so I needed to really understand Neptune and and think about it. And if you look at my house, or if you look at my chart, um, Neptune is the planet that is highest in the sky for me. It's closest to my midheaven. Um, and it's my only planet that they would say is on an angle. It's like 12 degrees from my midheaven. Quick question. 
what does the highest planet in a chart mean? Um, it gives an, an importance in your life. Like it's part of your legacy. It's part of your um, overall life direction, like your vocation. Um, and that would be the planet closest to the MC? Mm-hmm. All right. And more so if it's, um, if you're looking at the chart on paper, if it's on the left-hand side of the MC, like towards the 10th house and 11th house, as opposed to on the other side where it's coming down. So the- so It's the, rising to the MC. So the planet, so the planet that's closest to, what if it's Chiron? Um, well, I probably wouldn't pay count? attention to that, but it might. It really um, might. I mean, somebody okay. who has Chiron's probably going to be a teacher or a healer of some sort if they have a really, um, you know, if that's if Chiron's the the. the... No, I, was, I was thinking about my chart. Oh yeah, it very. I was well thinking about be. what I had to the left in my chart. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, first thing I come Chiron. to Chiron, and then I think the next thing I'll come to is uh, Saturn. Uh huh. For me, it's Neptune. Right. Um, and in fact, um, where I'm, I'm living right now, I live in New Orleans, but I'm house sitting for a friend in St. Petersburg, Florida. Okay. And so one of the things I did was, of course, looked at locational astrology. When you put me in St. Petersburg, Florida, Neptune is exactly to the degree, just a couple minutes off of my midheaven. Um, so very like prominent in this particular location. Is that a good thing or, or what does that mean? Well, it could be a good thing or a bad thing. So that's one of those things of like, I had to figure it out, right? Like I had to really take a deep dive into it. Neptune's wait, also, I uh, only wait, have wait, one. Wait, 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 one more question. Because you just said something. How do you, you good and bad. Hmm? How do you do that in a reading? Or, or do, do you see it as good and bad? Well, what I see is Neptune has many expressions. Right. And some of those expressions can kind of help good things come in my life or help me have good experiences. All right. And there are other things about Neptune that have um, caused me to have very sort of negative and troubling and problematic experiences. All right. All right. So I think the energy of Neptune can, again, be expressed in multiple ways. All right. Um, and I'm happy to just sort of talk about what some of those are. Go ahead, um, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so no, Neptune's no, also important I, in a I couple just, of other ways in my chart, but it's it's a big planet in my chart. It like yeah. has it has some sway. Yeah, I, no, I want I'm going to let you keep going. I just when you say good and bad, sometimes I, in readings and stuff like that, I hear that. Mm -hmm. Is that good? Mm. Or is that bad? Right. And, it's all experience. Well, that's that's what I wanted to know how you how you view that. That I guess I would say more like um, more pleasant and positive and helpful, or like um, mm, one of those like learning challenges. All I've right. Had both. I've All had right. Both. All right. Go ahead. Um. So yeah, I got about a decade left of of strong Neptune stuff. Um. And so Neptune, you know, wasn't wasn't part of the traditional planet scheme, right? You know. We had Uranus discovered in the 1780s. Neptune was discovered in 1846. Um, and astrologers kind of looked to what was going on at the time a little bit to sort of determine like what a planet, a new planet might mean. And of course you see this with the asteroids now, right? It's like they're trying to figure out like what does Chiron mean? What does Chariklo mean? What does Ceres mean? Um, so when Neptune was discovered, 
Um, it was September 23rd, like I said, 1846. So it was a long time ago. Um, and it was actually the very first time that we have a record of anybody using an anesthetic, ether. And one of the associations of Neptune is kind of like escapism. Um, like an un, like it's an unconscious kind of thing. And so I thought that was really funny that like in 1846, three days after we found Neptune was the first time um, anyone used ether as an anesthetic and it was a dentist. Um, it was also the time when gold was discovered in California. So there was literally a gold rush and Neptune's often associated with like um, these like big wild romantic dreams imagination, fantasy. Um, I sometimes say that Neptune can either give you like rose colored glasses or beer goggles, you know, it's like the same thing. It's like an impaired vision of something may look better or worse than it really is. Um, it's often compared to like a fog or a haze it can be a very spiritual influence. Um, one of the things I've learned to love about Neptune is I think when you're having a Neptune transit, and we're all having one today, right? Like no matter where in our chart, somewhere the sun um, at six o'clock tomorrow morning is gonna be shining directly onto Neptune. So in some ways it kind of flavors all of our days, I think today and tomorrow. Okay. And the good things about that is it can be a really great time to like imagine, to daydream, to do some kind of creative work, um, to do something that like gives you a sense of awe Neptune was the god of the seas and the ocean of waters. So a lot of times if I see a client who's coming in with like a Neptune transit, I'll be like, might be a great time to take a vacation to the beach or to the mountains or whatever gives you this sense of awe. Um, but it also can be like delusions and illusions and deceptions, escapism, which often includes like substance abuse or like getting addicted to video games or getting addicted to sex or anything where it sort of like blurs your reality and takes you into like an altered state is all associated with Neptune. Um, so it, yeah, it has a lot of different um, associations and some of them can sort of be traced back to, you know, this idea of we found it at the time of like a gold rush. And it was when like the Mormons um, left New England and were traveling across the country to establish their own utopia in Salt Lake City. Um, it was also the time when we had the first big women's right and suffrage movements, you know, this, the Seneca Falls Convention, where right. we first started talking in the States about giving women to, the right to vote. So there's also something about Neptune that's almost like a, like we're all part of a big pot. We're all one soul. We're all one world. We're all interconnected. Like a big um, pot of gumbo. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Across the whole thing. Um. And so Neptune's been around in astrology for a very long time, not in astrology, but in myth, right? In myth. We didn't, even though we didn't find it until 1846, it was named for an old Roman god, Neptune, also worshiped in Greece and Etruscans. And, and Neptune was known to be the ruler of the seas. Like it was, he was brothers with Jupiter and Pluto. Jupiter ruled the heavens. Pluto ruled the earth, ruled the earth and the underground and its riches. And then Neptune got dominion over the seas. Yeah. So I think of Neptune as being very like ocean-like. Do you use Neptune as ruler of Pisces? I don't. I use the traditional rulership, right. but I do think that Neptune is very Pisces-like. I think there's oh. a lot of 
what I would say affinity between the signs. All right. Um, and Neptune, as you know, is in Pisces. Um, so it's kind of in a place where Neptune is really strong. It moved right. into Pisces in 2011, and it's going to be there until 2026, although it's going to move out for a little bit of time in 2025. And so, you know, I definitely think we're all getting a dose of Neptune. And one of the things we're seeing with that is it's kind of coordinated with this increased emphasis on climate change mm -hmm. and the flooding that we're seeing and the increased in tropical storms and like the extremes of water or not water. Um, in ancient Rome in July, actually kind of right when the sun moved into Leo on July 23rd, they had a festival to Neptune. That was when there was no water and it was like this festival of like praying for water. Yeah. Neptune was also known as the earth shaker, like responsible for earthquakes, which is interesting when you think about like what actually causes earthquakes and the movement of the earth and the and the water and the plates. Yeah. Um, I would think rule of tsunamis, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so with Saturn also in Pisces for three years, um, a lot of people who look at world astrology what we call mundane, have talked about we would see an increased amount of uh, earthquakes, tsunamis, like violent weather events, or also um, like potentially fights and debates around territories as how like the border between land and water. Like there's Borders. people. Mm, yeah, yeah. Disputes. Yeah. Hey, and, and earlier uh, last year, all last year, well, uh, we had here in America, we had all those people sitting at the border, yeah. trying to come over the border. Well, it was about sixty thousand yeah. people down there. And Neptune's also associated sometimes with, um, like, huge um, programs that are like compassionate relief, like like refugee services, um, like where you have waves of people who need help, and there has to be some like massive social program to help, what which of course thing? often comes after a disaster, right? So farm aid would be mm -hmm. that that concert they 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 mm -hmm. have that concert to raise money for the farm, or mm -hmm. you know, uh, yeah, that that would be Neptunian yeah. music with uh, yeah. a bigger mm -hmm. kind huh. of those things where. There's, there creates this sense of we're all in it together. You know, we're all connected. We all have the same emotions. When one person hurts, we all hurt, you know? And so that kind of interconnectedness is also very Neptunian. So as the sun opposes Neptune um, today and tomorrow, um, the sun and Neptune are actually sort of really different planetary archetypes, planetary energies. You know, the sun is very individualistic, right. kind of like about me and my ego and my identity, like how I want to be seen in the world as an individual person, my unique characteristics, how I want to shine. Um, in world astrology, the sun also represents like our leaders, you know, like people who are heads of families, heads of state, heads of organizations, fathers. Whereas Neptune is like this, oh no, we're all connected and we're all equal and we're all impacted. Um, and so when these two forces are, um, you know, opposed to each other, because an opposition is like a push and pull, right? It's a back and forth, like trying to find a balance. 
um, it can kind of bring some good things and bad things as we experience it. So these particular two days, just from an individual perspective, like what you might do, you may feel um, kind of like a conflict within yourself of on one hand, I want to get things done and I want to accomplish things and I want to lead where Neptune is just like, Shh, nothing you ooh. do matters. Ooh, ooh, it just came to me. Mm-hmm. The labor, the, the UAW dispute that's going on right now. Mm-hmm. That would be Sun Neptune, right? It, would, would you say? Yeah, it definitely could be, right? Because it's like what the leaders want is one thing, and yeah. that's not necessarily what's best for all. Yes, the, yeah, uh, would, would be the union. Union, yeah. we all, all we we trying to fight for the benefits for all. You, On you an individual that, basis, you, you, mm-hmm. you think that may end uh, when when the sun passes? No, I don't think so. I mean, I don't, I don't think. I would be surprised if it ends before we get through eclipse season. I, I might be wrong, but I have a, I have some friends who like work in the film business, uh-huh. and when I've done their like predictive. Oh, I forgot work, about that one. I, I was talking about the cars. Oh, the UA, UAW. Yeah. Oh I, yeah, I, I don't really I know so about much the, about that one. I, yeah, they they striking right now, and that's mm-hmm. that's. I forgot about the film, mm-hmm. and that's even more Neptunian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And wow. I don't really see that ending yet. Like, I think it's I think it's not going to be until after eclipse season. Um, but for for an individual like you or me or just the average person, like the Sun Neptune opposition, like we might feel just kind of like lost or confused or things get off track. You can't stay focused. Um, and so I really encourage my clients today and tomorrow like not to force themselves into any actions where they're going to have to have like clear decision making or great focus to kind of just give themselves like permission slips to wander in the hall, you know, right. like to purposely try to lean into like daydreaming and imagining going for a walk and, you know, letting themselves wander and not like try to judge themselves because they're not getting something done or something doesn't make sense. All right. Now, how do you explain Neptune to a person in their natal chart? Like, for instance, someone has Neptune in the seventh house. What mm-hmm. would you say to, to them? How much I go into it's going to depend on where it is and what it's impacting. If somebody has Na- Neptune, like right next to a personal planet, you know, like the sun, the moon, Mercury, mm-hmm. Venus, Mars. They have it right next to an angle, the first house, the seventh house, the 10th and the fourth. Then I'm probably going to talk about it some, but I usually start by asking them questions because sometimes Neptune in birth charts has indicated to me that there's been sort of um, some kind of um, substance. I mean, it, again, everything, yeah, I'm always looking for multiple confirmation. Yeah, I got, yeah, Sometimes I got I've you. seen it indicate substance abuse in a family, um, a propensity for substance abuse themselves, or maybe it's been like a father or a mother, or like that there's been this um, family dynamic of, of substance abuse, of some sort of escapism. And, you know, in our culture, alcoholism and drug abuse is huge anyway. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's that. Um, sometimes it just kind of shows where things have been unreliable that like oftentimes where 
you go into, like if it was in the seventh house, sometimes it's like where you fall into a relationship and you think it's going to be perfect and that they're princess charming or prince charming. And then you become disillusioned as you start to see the reality. And so for those folks where that seems to be the story, it's more about like going slow and checking yourself and, you know, who can you trust to like, you know, so it, it comes across in different ways. If it were in the second house about money, well, sometimes those are people who can well, spend way more than they bring in, right? Well, just for the just for the record, I think which that last part you said it would be correct. Uh, go slow. What'd you say? Go slow. Have um, people you trust that you can check in, like with you know that can when you kind say of- that. When you say that, hey, I'm thinking about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about that? And that, as far as trusting and and to get good advice on relationships. Yeah, yeah. Like if your friends don't like someone, mm-hmm. it's probably a sign you should listen to, right? All that right. maybe you're putting those Neptune rose-colored glasses on something that your friends and family can see more clearly, right? Well, the reason I'm focused you on the seventh house because I actually have Neptune in the seventh, so I wanted to see what you would have to say. What's been your experience with it? <laughs> well, what you said. That's why yeah. I backed you up and, and confirmed. Like, hey, uh, I think you're right. That's what I need to make sure I do. Going, you know, going forward and stuff like that. See, for me, it was in the the place of career, right? And so oftentimes I've been promised the world coming into a job only to find out the reality wasn't what was promised. And you let, and you was left disillusioned and sitting there Mm -hmm. picking up the pieces. Mm -hmm. And having to decide what I wanted to do about it. Mm. Yeah. I definitely think it's worth paying attention to. And I, and I think. What, Neptune? Mm-hmm. Mm. One of the things I, I jotted down is, um, you know, like when does it even become more important to you? Because one part is, is it in your chart and where? And the second is like, when is Neptune kind of activated for you? Um, and, you know, all of us, if we live long enough, around 40, we go through these midlife transits. Mm-hmm. And when Neptune is a 90 degree angle from where it was when you were born, we call the Neptune square Neptune. That's usually the middle of what we would call in lay terms, the midlife crisis. So usually there's a Pluto square Pluto that comes through first that kind of like destroys what isn't working. You know, there's a lot of turmoil. Is that when that guy goes out and buys the sports car, the motorcycle and stuff like that? I think that's more like the Uranus opposition. Oh, really? Yeah, I think Pluto square Pluto is the first one. And it's like that dissatisfaction. You know, it comes up as I'm not happy. Everything's crap. You know, all the things I've been doing aren't the right things for me. Then Neptune comes in and kind of gives you the fantasy or the disillusionment or the delusion, if you will, of um, and then you get Uranus, who's like, okay, well, you're free. You can do what you want. Go buy the red sports car, you know? So it's like that series of the three of them, I think, cause us to make like big life-changing decisions, either ourselves or the universe forces them upon us. 
you know, kind of in that age span of 38 to 43. So everybody who lives long enough will have that. And that's a time when you'll kind of get to know Neptune. Hmm. You just said something uh, mm -hmm. made me think, do you try to, in your readings, do you try to look at the chart more as a big picture and talk about the cycles or do you get like in the details and stuff like that? Like, If you're like a first client with me, we're going to talk about the big picture and the cycles. If you're somebody who like has a reading with me every month or every quarter, then we're probably going to take a deep dive into the specific things that you're trying to accomplish and use more shorter term predictive. All right. But I think you always have to keep those bigger cycles in mind. All right. Um, if you're having Neptune square Neptune, and like one of the things that'll happen around that age, I guess around age 36 is when you have, you'll have a Jupiter return, but at the same time, you may be starting these midlife transits. And if you are, it's like, they can kind of almost make your Jupiter return seem like it's not even happening, right? Because I think they're heavier and they're longer and they create so much change. You said midlife transits? Mm-hmm. All right. So that's a time when Neptune's really important to you. Also, um, not everybody lives long enough, but if you live to about 84, 85, you're going to have actually your Neptune um, opposition, where Neptune's opposite where it was when you were born. Um, and that sometimes also coincides with the Uranus return when Uranus comes back to where it was. And so that mid 80s seems to be another like critical turning point of like evaluating your life and thinking about meaning and what's my legacy and what do I want to do with the time I have left. And then just for you personally, anytime you have either Neptune conjunct one of your personal placements or square or in opposition, I'm always going to pay attention to that because it usually is going to last about three years and it'll come, it'll get harder and, you know, it'll come closer, it'll back up, it'll come closer, but it's a three or four year transit where you're probably going to have some transformation around that particular planetary or point topic. Have um, you had a Neptune transit yet to any of your personal planets? I'm sure you have. Um, uh, it's uh Neptune. Yeah, it's coming up on my sun and Pluto. Mm. Neptune's sun can be can be a tough one. On one hand, if you're a person who does spiritual work, like mm. you do, it may really bring you like into the public consciousness. You know, as as almost like a guru figure or like someone who can like teach others who can bring people together. It is in the 10th house. That's cool. My son's in the fourth. So. Yeah. So that's, that's exciting. They, they say the downside of it is you like, don't believe your own hype, right? Um, that you still have to sort of stay humble and, um, which you know, would, which would actually, uh, fit with my South note. Mm, yeah. Which is yeah. Leo. So maintaining humility. I had Neptune. Um, my So I was born at a first quarter moon, right? So my sun and my moon are square each other. Mm -hmm. And so when I was a late teenager, like when I was young, I was really ambitious. I did all this traveling. I did all this work. Neptune entered Capricorn and it conjoined my moon and squared my sun and I really completely lost my way for several years. Like I began drinking a lot. I married someone who was an addict. Um, oh, so wait, wait. Neptune in the uh, could like in the seven could point to 
your partner being like yeah well my moon was in my first house so neptune came into my first house it hit my moon yeah and it squared my sun and i really just kind of like fell apart you know and you know i was like 18 17 19 so i didn't really have a lot of life experience to know that that's what was going on but when i look back at it i can see that that's what happened right i i started drinking i married someone who was a drug addict i kind of like lost my ability to like be focused and driven and ambitious and i also had a lot of health issues which i'm normally a super healthy person but i got like mononucleosis which made me it's a virus that just makes you sleep a lot and like i slept for weeks and you're not supposed to get it twice but when i look back i got it when neptune was right on my moon and then when Neptune retrograded back to my moon, I had it again. Like, so it was like, a, when I look back, it's like, oh, wow. I really went into kind of a Neptunian crisis when I had that happen to me in my late teens. Neptune does dream, rule the dream world. Mm-hmm. And I came out of it, you know, but, um, but it was really like a few years where all the people who knew me is like, what is going on with Denise? Like, this is not the Denise that we've always known, you know? Do you... Do you use just the five aspects or do you bring in like uh, use uh, quincunxes and all the bias? I mostly, when I'm looking for predictive work, Mm -hmm. particularly if I'm looking at times of big change in your life, then I think really the three that matter most are the conjunction, the opposition and the square. Right. Now, if I'm looking for periods of opportunity, like, like like say for my example, I'm looking for a good time to launch a class or something, yeah. then I'll look for like trines and sextiles. But right. when I'm just looking at like those big time periods in life when like change is forced upon you or you change up everything, then it's usually conjunctions and squares and oppositions that kind of tell that story. All right. All and right. when anybody has Neptune moon, Neptune Mars, maybe even Neptune Sun by those three. One of the things I always ask is that they, you know, take good care of themselves because I feel like that gives you, you become more sensitive and also more more vulnerable, whether that's like sensitivity to medications you take, sensitivity to drugs and alcohol, psychic sensitivity. Um, I just feel like those transits particular, those three, the sun and the moon and the Mars, is like a period of like psychic and physical vulnerability. Mm. Bernadette right. Brady talked about Neptune Mars as being like one of the classic markers for vulnerability to illnesses and injuries. Would that be that's from the conjunction square or In opposition? Mm-hmm. All right. Do you look at uh, Neptune as the higher octave of Venus? Oh, you don't buy that. I don't buy it. It's very, you know, I don't, I can't, I don't know exactly who came up with it. I know it was a famous astrologer at some point who came Mm. up with this notion of Neptune being the higher octave of Venus. I probably would say I see Neptune more as like Jupiter with no boundaries. You know how Jupiter likes to expand things Mm. and it's sort of like this buoyancy. It's like Neptune without any limits of Saturn, right? It's just like, 
um, diffuse. And, you know, I also, for example, when we talk about substance abuse, I've also seen Jupiter play a real role in that. Because in a lot substance of substance abuse? Mm-hmm. Because right. Jupiter like wants to have fun, right? Mm-hmm. And doesn't say no. So sometimes people who are serial cheaters or people who do lots of substances like will have a really strong Jupiter and it's almost like this sense of entitlement. Like I'm entitled to do the things I want and they don't affect other people. And I, I almost, I would almost see Neptune as much more like a Jupiterian force than I really would Venusian. Although I do see that Neptune, like Venus, really impacts creativity. You know, you look at like like charts of poets and musicians and artists. Like a lot of times, there'll be this strong Neptunian imagination, creative component. So that in that way, I could see it as Venus. But I think it's different than Venus. I think Venus is much more. Uh, physical and sensual All right. in many charts whereas Neptune's really more about the imagination All right. and I know people are going to say what do you mean you don't buy that you could you could do that in astrology not buy things yeah. and uh, you know I guess systems of thought I yeah. try not to be dogmatic you know I'm really just trying to always consider ideas like do they make sense and then what do I see in the lives of my clients? Hmm. All right. All right. But I think the higher octave thing is like a weird argument. Is it a, is it a nice description? Maybe I don't, but I just don't, I don't see that. I, I, I just, I'm not getting, and then I've heard like, okay. And these new outer planets are like the higher octave of the higher octave. And I'm just like, eh. Yeah. Oh, what, uh, Pluto would be the higher octave of Mars. Mm-hmm. And Uranus would be Mercury. Yes. And then they, they'll go on to say, and I'm, I'm using an example that I'm sure is not a right example, but that the asteroid or the centaur, whatever it is, Maki Maki is like the higher octave of Uranus or whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah I, I don't, I don't quite see it that way, but I'm also not a musician. And so it may be that one of those things like based on your own brain, like mm-hmm. that's how you conceptualize it. All right. All right. All right. Anything else you want us to know about uh, Neptune? Um, you know, the only other big thing I really thought is worth knowing, if, if you haven't already talked about it, is um, as people in the world, um, all of us probably who are listening to this podcast were kind of born when Neptune was sextile Pluto, because that's uh-huh. kind of happening for decades. So most of us have that signature in our chart. Mm-hmm. And when I was new to astrology, I didn't really know that, right? So I thought that was something unique to me, as opposed to realizing that like everybody who was born for 60 years has that. Um, and then I do think it's important that Saturn and Neptune are in the sky together now in the same sign. And they're really going to be traveling together until 2027. And whereas Saturn's all about like limits and boundaries and hard work and this is the reality, like Neptune's the opposite. And so that's a really interesting, I think, combination as a society that we're going to be like, like trying to figure out like what are I, what are our ideals as a group? You know, what kind of world do we want to live in? Mm-hmm. And then how do we do the work to make that happen? I think that is something that as a society, we're going to be involved in for the next few years. My my uh, co-host, Walter, who isn't here, she said, she says, 
people are want to buy experiences now, hmm. which which I think would point to Saturn, Neptune. It's not really about um, I forgot how she put it, but it's about buying an experience. Now. Uh, people want to experience things and not you know, just say I've been there or whatever. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I have this whole cluster of clients who were born like in 1988, 1991, when... Um... Actually, that's uh, when Walter was born. Oh, was it? Yeah. Well, it, when it was what, like Saturn and Uranus and Neptune were all in Capricorn? Uh, she, she has Saturn, Venus, and... Mars and Aquarius. I think okay. she's 91. I think she's 91, 92. Something like that. Yeah, she might have even just passed it. Because mm. it was when they came together in Capricorn, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune. Mm. It only happens like every 700 years. Um, and I have had a whole cluster of clients with that. And I think that's like such an interesting combination of planets. Because it's like they have this ability to... I think envision a world like that beyond what I can even imagine. Mm -hmm. And also like with Saturn and Capricorn, like the ability to make it real, like to actually do the things to bring those dreams and those um, innovations into our world. So I kind of have like really high hopes for that, for that group of people. You just hit on something that I just recently uh, was amazed to find out um it's not easy for someone to have an idea and make that idea actually manifest on earth mm -hmm. i thought i thought you know people just do it but people struggle with that yeah yeah people particularly with like you know no earth in their charts no earth signs Ooh, ooh. all right all right we need uh, the earth to make it to make it real, to make it touchable, to make it make it happen. Being that the deeper you the more you learned about astrology, did it change your perception of how life actually worked? Absolutely. Yeah. I um are you yeah, I, think, I think we grew up thinking that um, anything's possible and we have 100% free will. And certainly we talked about my religious upbringing, mm -hmm. like this thing of God gave people choices. God gave us free will um, was really kind of hammered into me growing mm -hmm. up. And I think I'm not so sure. I think that there is fate. I think, um, I think we have some choices. I think, I think there are choices, but I almost feel like we're born into this blueprint of that. We are going to have certain circumstances and we're going to have certain experiences. Now, maybe we can choose how to manage those, you know, how we want to respond to them. Um, but I don't, believe quite as much in a hundred percent free will as I think I once did. Is that a shock to your Neptune? 
the highest planet in your no i think no not at all um i don't i don't think neptune promises free will i think neptune's more like we're all in this together you know and we're all gonna have well i i guess i was thinking more of uh the the positive side of neptune of mm -hmm. of hey we this dream could happen and all of that stuff and and then hey then you got hit a couple of times with promise the stars and you ended yeah. up with a box of rocks yeah <laughs> yeah probably if anything it um you know i have in virgo i have mars jupiter and pluto so I tend to believe I can accomplish anything. I can do whatever I want if I put my mind to it and I study and I do the right plan, you know? Mm -hmm. And I would say Neptune tells me, nah, sometimes magic just happens. Now, maybe you can do some stuff to put yourself in the right place. But sometimes this wave just comes over and maybe it knocks down everything you've done. Or maybe it opens up to you this vista that you never knew was possible, you know? Is there anything, is there such thing called luck? Yeah, I think there is. And I think some of us are born with more of it than others or that there's certain periods of our life. And what I would say with luck mm -hmm. is it's like, um, if you're in a situation where there's multiple outcomes, it feels like you get the better outcome, right? Like if it's a random situation and you could get anything from a one to a 10 during a particularly fortunate period, or if you were born fortunate, which I think some people are, you're much more likely to get the eights and the nines and the tens, where you might have somebody else who's much more likely to pull the ones and the twos and the threes. And I'm not a big user of the lots. I don't know if you are, um, yeah. but I do think yeah. the lot of fortune and and um, some of the, the systems like for Daria and, the, and um, Zodiacal releases yes. give you a little bit information about when you're in these more fortunate periods. Yes. I've been dabbling with the Zodiacal releasing a little bit. Uh, uh, trying to really figure out, you know, how it really works and how you really could use it to, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but there definitely are some people who, you know, and part of it is context in our society, right? Depending on the place and the family you were born to mm -hmm. plays such a big role in our lives for whether or not for how your life goes, right? Like what your options are, you know? Um, so, so which would be, which would go to the fourth house is really important yeah because it's the base base of everything mm -hmm. the family you were born into and all that can determine a lot of stuff yeah well and, and you know you can pretty reliably tell if somebody had a rough childhood oftentimes from looking at their fourth house you know whether it was financial circumstances or um emotional lack of support or you know, people that moved around a lot or, you know. Speaking of family, I didn't ask you this. Uh -huh. How do they feel that you are an astrologer? Um, You know, again, I told you my family just kind of doesn't like to talk about hard things. Yeah. So they really don't talk about it. They know. They I mean, know? Like, oh, yeah. They know. Uh -huh. I've uh -huh. told them. Um, 
I've stayed at their house and been like, okay, I'm going to go in the office and shut the door because I have a client consultation. Um, actually, it was kind of funny because I think the one time they paid the most attention, um, I ha there's a person in our family who is very narcissistic behaviors. Mm. And when I looked at this person's chart, I want to say they've got five or six planets in Leo, right? It's a lot. They've got a lot of Leo. And so. Wait, wait, wait. I need to throw a disclaimer out there. <laughs> this is Denise speaking on Leo. This is not Paul speaking on Leo because I have a Leo that listens and they think I bash Leo energy. So. Right. I'm not bashing this, it. Okay. <laughs> but I am saying that there's a tendency there, right? All right. Leo's tend to want to be heard more than they want to listen. It's a tendency. Okay. And they and they tend to really kind of want to be the spotlight, at least in some parts of life sometimes. But if you have an overwhelming amount of Leo, that can really give you that tendency. And so when I was like telling my mother this about this particular person, she's like, really? You can tell that from the birth chart? I'm like, yeah. I was like, but the other hand is it really gives you compassion for that person mm -hmm. because they're kind of being only the way that they can be based on their design, right? Like, you know, yes, they can learn some skills and blah, 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 but they're really following what was their birth design. So has that helped you actually be more accepting of others? hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. Now I can still have boundaries. I can say this is how you are and this is good for you, but I don't want to hang around with you. All right. Right. But that doesn't mean that I think they're a bad person, right? Like, or, you know, it's like, that's just how one time I heard, I can't think of where it was, but one time I heard, um, I think it was a Jamaican saying that they say where like, that's just how she go or that's how, that's just how he go. Right. And so it kind of gives me that sense. It's like, yep, that's who they are. And they're that way for a reason, but that doesn't mean I have to like it. It doesn't mean I have to interact with them, you know, um, but it doesn't mean I hate them either. Right. Like that's just how they're designed in the workplace. I found it helpful, but I also found it really explained that there were certain people in my workplace that like, I just couldn't work with, you know, they made me crazy. Mm. Mm. Wow. I have a really hard time and you know, there's nothing wrong with this sign, but I don't do well with people who have Mercury and Sagittarius. I just don't. Right. Like I like clarity and precision and logic and they like to like tell stories and explore and blah, blah. And I'm just like, that isn't what well, happened. <laughs> well, how do you do with Mercury and Pisces? Mercury and Pisces, I actually find better and I can't explain exactly why. Um, but, uh, I just have a harder time with Sagittarius Mercury. I don't know. Hey, I understand. We yeah, all, I don't know. There's all uh, energy out there for everybody. That but, you know, it's kind of like doing in the workplace. You know, when you do like the Myers Briggs test, or you do the, you know, whatever assessments where you get people's communication styles and their personal styles, and it sort of helps you understand them. And also, when you have to work together, it like gives you a framework. You know. What do you think about human design? You know what? I only know a little bit about it. Not long ago on Twitter, I posted and I said, hey, if any of my mutual friends know about human design and want to trade readings, I would love that because I just like to learn more about it because sometimes mm -hmm. my clients will talk about it. And so one of my um, friends took me up on it. And so she they, they did a human design 
like chart for me and told me a little bit about the system. And so I could definitely see the correlation with what I know about astrology. Um, but I really didn't, I really can't say that I understood all the like channels and gates and like the more complex parts of how human design works. I actually, I actually said on a podcast, shoot podcast, that human design is for people who don't want to learn astrology. Mm. Well, it's it's partly based in astrology, right? I know, I know. And that's like, what I, I said. And, <laughs> I don't even know what else, but that's um, what I said. Hey, somebody didn't want to sit down and learn astrology, so they invented this. I think Maddie had a question. I don't know if yes, um, yes, go ahead. Uh, she she wanted to know uh, what if the fourth house has no planets? Yes. How would that show their past? Yes. Um, Maddie, in, in traditional astrology, um, we think of whatever is on the fourth house cusp. Um, so like, for example, if the fourth house cusp was um, Virgo, the planet Mercury is um, the owner of the house, right? And so I would look to where Mercury is, what the condition of Mercury is and what aspects Mercury is making in order to understand the fourth house. I kind of think about it as one planet is the house owner, and then what is whatever is actually in the house are like the tenants or the renters, right? So they describe the activity that's going on in the house, but the house itself is um, defined by the planet that owns it or rules it. Thanks for asking. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, before you, we close it out, what is... Uh something you want people to know or say about astrology before you and, and say whatever you want to say and then uh you know uh let people know how they can get in contact you with you uh also promote the um the meetup okay um i'm assuming that because if someone's listening to your podcast i mm -hmm. am astrology mm -hmm. then they probably already have an interest or a belief in astrology right um, you probably don't get just like a lot of, of random people listening. But if you do, I would just encourage you to um, to keep learning. Um, it can be a really complicated system. My experience is that when I have a teacher, it's easier. Like it's a really hard thing to just learn and apply on your own. Um, you can do it, but it takes, I think, a lot longer and you go through a lot more um, trial and error. So working with somebody, having a mentor, like somebody, you know, bouncing ideas off people, I think that can be really helpful. Um, so did, I'd encourage did, you to- Did you just throw a shot at me? No, not at all. No, I know. I know. That, no, nah, that's what I did. I did You're I, cultivating community. I mean, I see no, you no, have- No, I actually did it the hard way, reading uh -huh. reading books my, my, by myself and then- It's hard. Mentors. Yes. It I really just, is. <laughs> I was I mean, just second in that. Hey, that, well, I and did like one work. of the things you did that was particularly hard, right, is you did lots and lots of cold readings for lots and lots of people so that yes. you really learned how it works in real life. Yes. So yeah, yes. the you took like a, a the long hard route. Yes. And, and not that there's anything bad with that. <laughs> no, I was just but playing. I, around. But I think you can accelerate it. You know, when you work you with I, somebody. Wait, you think that? Me doing it that way, I accelerated by actually talking to the people. Because I tell, I actually tell people learning astrology is fifty percent reading, fifty percent having conversation. 
Well, and I, and I would agree with that. I think right. no matter no matter who you work with, like as a teacher, like if you study with a teacher, uh -huh. you still aren't going to learn it all until you literally get into the consultation room, right? Uh -huh. Like, I think interacting with people is huge. For me, the the hard part about the self study is like um, like learning to put things together, like because you know when you read a book. Like the books are like, well, if your sun is in Aries, it means this. And if your moon is in Gemini, it means this. And you're like, okay, but what's really important and what's acting now? And how do these, how do these like conflicting things work together? Yeah. That's, like, that's the part where I think having teachers can help you. Yeah. What I'd call yeah. like the judgment aspect. Yeah. And I'm still learning that. I'm still going, okay, well, this doesn't really matter. Yes, this is happening to you right now, but this isn't really what important. Like the big story of your life is this thing. You want me to tell you how I found out Saturn as a, how you read in, in books, Saturn can be a blocker, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, man, what, what does that really mean? You want to know how I found out what it really means? How? One day, uh, it was early in my studies. This guy told me he was a Leo. And, you know, we have a Rolodex of Leo characteristics and all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I went down and he denied every last one of them. Mm. To the point that I said, man, you lying to me. You're not a Leo. Yes, I am, man. He pulled out his license and showed it to me. And at that point, now I got to pull his chart up. And I saw Saturn sitting right on top of his son. Uh-huh. I said, oh, that's what it means by Saturn can be a blocker. All of this Leo energy, he denied. He's not leaning into none of it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's that kind of stuff that until you see the chart, you're, yes. it doesn't make sense. Yeah. That's I'm how really learned. still learning about what the, when the outer planets are retrograde in a birth chart, um, only recently somebody said, you know, they can express the opposite sign. So for example, if you have somebody who's got Saturn retrograde in Aries, that Saturn may behave like it's in Libra. And I was like, huh. So I'm still like, I still am not sure, but that was somebody who I really trust and I respect their opinion. And so I was mm -hmm. like, I'm going to explore that. I'm going to see if I see truth to it. Hmm. My Saturn's retrograde in um, Gemini. Yeah, I have a retrograde one too. So I thought that was really interesting that um, anyway, and this is a guy yeah. who's been doing it for 40 years, right? So oh, wow. he's seen a lot of charts. But anyway, I said, yeah, I would say keep studying, keep listening. Um, right. If you're interested in getting together with a group of people to learn about astrology, discuss astrology, I do host the New Orleans Astrology Meetup group. Um, if you go to the Meetup app or the Meetup website, meetup.com, it's free to join. Um, and there's monthly events. Like I said, sometimes we do them in person in Metairie, Louisiana. Um, there's a metaphysical shop there who gave us a free meeting space. Um, sometimes we have online events. Um, but they're nearly always for free unless I'm have a guest speaker who we want to offer, you know, some money to, and that doesn't happen very often. Um, so you're hey, welcome to join that. Hey, hey, go ahead. Get a, get a metaphysics shop, shop a shout out. Oh yeah. It's MRC treasures in Metairie, Louisiana. Um, All they right. also have other services like every Saturday they've got tarot readers and psychics and, um, you know, lots of gemstones, incense, great, great folks. Um, my own website is astrologywithdenise.com. Um, I'm also on Google Business. So if you just Google um, Astrology Denise New Orleans, 
I think I'll pop up as like the first or second result. Um, but yeah, I do private consultations. I lead the meetup. And then I also um, still teach nursing part-time and uh, work on the magazine. So kind of have a full schedule, probably like Paul. <laughs> Which one do you enjoy the most? Finance, nursing, or astrology? Um, I really enjoy astrology the most. Um, wow. what One of the things I loved about my career in financial services and in nursing is that I was able to have these really deep, conversations with people about what mattered to them. And, you know, I talked about, I've got Capricorn stuff. I've got Virgo stuff. I've got Scorpio stuff and Libra. So I like intimate one-to-one conversations of talking about like the hard stuff, like sex, death, and money. Yeah. Let's dive into it. Right. And so with astrology, I'm really able to just be there for the client I don't have any sales goals. I don't have any doctor's orders. Like I don't have to fit them into a package or a wheel. It's like I can really witness people where they are and do the things to guide them and support them that my heart loves. That kind of got quashed when I was in like institutional corporate structures, you know? Now I do, what I, the reason I continue teaching nursing, I teach graduate classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I teach nurses who are like getting their doctoral degree. And so I really help them to find their passion and then create like a research project or a quality improvement project for them. And so there's a whole lot of like mentoring and guidance that goes into that. And that I love that too. Um, but I really like the astrology of like, we can focus on exactly what the client needs, exactly what the client wants instead of some other big organizational agenda. Quick question. I know I, I being someone that come been in finance and stuff, mm-hmm. and someone who does astrology. Does money bring happiness? I would say the lack of money brings unhappiness. <laughs> if you can't. You know, if you can't afford housing, if you can't afford food, if you can't afford transportation, then there's some some real challenges there in our society, right? Because we don't have good social support systems. Okay. But the research actually says that above a certain amount of income, mm-hmm. there's really no additional happiness. And one of the things I learned really early, because when I was in finance for the first 10 years of you know my 20s and early 30s, I had a lot of clients who were millionaires. They weren't happier. They killed themselves. They drank. They did drugs. You know, I mean, it was like you think they would be people who they've they've, you know, some of them were born into money. Some of them like built a business and sold it. It didn't make them any happier. Now, sometimes what did make them happy is like being able to provide for their families, Mm -hmm. you know, and having the resources to do things for the people they loved. Um, And also you know, to, to engage in their hobbies, you know, like if what they really loved was going deep sea fishing in the Gulf, right. You need some money to do that. You can't just like walk to the beach. Um, But no, I would say, you know, at past a certain point where you're able to cover your needs and, and do some basic things, then no. All right. What do you think? I agree with you. Yeah. 
Uh, I've met some some millionaires, mm-hmm. and they're the most unhappy people in the world. And you're looking like, wait, mm-hmm. you got this, you have that. It's it's all material things, but you know. I've had time periods in my life where I literally had ten dollars for the week to buy groceries, and I've had time periods in my life when I was making six figures. And um, you know, as long as I could pay my bills and like have some some. Wait, 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 wait. Was that hard for a Capricorn rise? (laughs) (laughs) I've done both. Uh, You know, I've had both. Um, I've been very poor and I've been, you know, very comfortable. Um, And uh, yeah, I don't, you know, there's certainly some dissatisfaction with comes that comes with not being able to, you know, buy the things you need. Yeah. Well, and then I also know in this astrology field it's not uh lifestyles of the rich and famous either no no what it can be is you know if you earn an adequate income i think you can have great freedom and i and i value that as well freedom to do the things you want to do you know wow I like that. Well, probably because I have a sun conjunct Uranus in my birth chart, right? And so <laughs> independence, being my own boss, like those kinds of things really matter to me. Being able to live in integrity with my own values, huge. All right. Well, Denise, I want to thank you for blessing me with uh, your time and your <laughs> knowledge so and all of that. Thank you, Paul. I'm so glad that, you know, we connected again. And I and I really would like you to come and, you know, speak to the meetup group if you would want to do that. I'll have to figure out what to talk about. All right. <laughs> but, well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm open. I'm open to that. We could talk about it. Um, right. And everybody, please uh, feel free to go in and um, uh, go to the New Orleans Astrology Meetup group, join the session and all of that. I'm pretty sure that Denise would love to have anybody and everybody. Uh, I want to thank everybody for joining me for episode 54. Meet the astrologer with Denise Hancock. Thank you. And y'all know how I end this. Know thyself. Balance your energy. Started off with questions, and then it's number two. Things on my mind, why this, why that, what should we do? The question that the searches, you diving into seeking. Go for some ass, leak it. These niggas get to tweak it. Where you don't be get to preach it. You don't be telling me that my fate is in the stars, you read my energy. You got the recipe to get the ecstasy. I'm shifting gears on the things that you must believe. Now people don't deceive, she starts on Christmas Eve. It's from the start, that's why you trap, you stuck, you cannot leave. Nowhere, man. You best be on your knees, confess your sins of move. Don't have no question, have the faith, you trust, you told the truth. You think you can't be slanted, you think it just be planted. It's warfare, the bonds explode, collateral.